Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone in the building. And for those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much. We love you to bits. Um, so you might know that we're in a series called Chapter 29. And um, so I'm very excited to share a message with you this morning. But just to throw that out real quick before we even get into the message. So this series, especially this message specifically, is completely out of my comfort zone. It's not in my teaching style at all. I love teaching a topic, looking at a topic from Scripture and then using Scripture to unpack whatever this topic is. But today we're not going to be doing that. Chapter 29 is us preaching through the book of Acts, one chapter at a time. So as I'm standing here this morning, I'm actually quite intimidated. So, so I'm trusting that God would help us. I think he might need to help you this morning just to get through this morning. And maybe he might need to help me as well to actually just preach this message, but I'm excited. Because as I was going through this passage, just so many amazing things popped out that I didn't expect God to show me as I was studying scripture. Um, many years ago, in the early years of my, of my faith journey, I am um, I met Jesus, became a Christian, had this super incredible encounter with Jesus, and everything changed in that moment. It sort of went from, from night to day in a split second in that moment that I met Jesus. I also started reading Scripture. Someone told me to start reading in the New Testament, the Gospels, you'll get a clear understanding what Christianity is all about, and it's also cool to start there, and I did. started reading through the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when I got, I think, close to the end of John, which is the fourth Gospel, I just got to a space and I just stopped. I had like this moment where I had a realization and that realization was that I struggled to believe what I was reading. So I had this moment where I was like, God, I've connected with you. I've met you. You've literally changed my life, but I'm really struggling to believe some of the stuff I'm reading there. I was like, angels, come on. Surely that can't be real. Read, read, read about miracles. I was like, Lord, Come on, someone was raised from the dead. How does that even work? Can't believe this. Virgin birth, for example. And all these things were just mulling through my mind and I had this doubt in my spirit and my heart and I, and I couldn't trust what I was reading. So I took that to God and I think that's what he wants us to do with our doubts. So I went to God and I just prayed. I was like, Lord, um, I believe in you. I have no doubt that you exist. I have no doubt that you saved me, Jesus. I have no doubt that I'm your child. I cannot believe this stuff. There's no way. Help me. And uh, I don't know if it was my, if I came to this conclusion by myself or it was God speaking to my spirit, but I had the sense of God saying to me, Jacques, I left you one source, the Bible. I've chosen to not add anything that isn't in there. I've chosen to not remove anything. This, the Bible that I've given you, scripture that I've given you, that's the one source I've given you. Why don't you just believe it and let me deal with anything that may not be true or whatever? And in the moment, like this overwhelming peace came over me. I was like, God, if you gave me this, this is what I'm gonna believe. And from that moment, I had this sort of fascination with a bunch of the stuff that's not natural in the Bible. Like angels are cool to me. Like reading about miracles, I find it extremely fascinating when someone gets completely healed, for example. When we get to Acts chapter three, which we're gonna be talking about today, we are confronted with one of these miracles that I struggled to believe in the early days of my faith. At some stage, every single one of us will probably have an intellectual disagreement or argument about stuff we read in the Bible. Maybe then you become a Christian and you still got these intellectual arguments and theology around why miracles shouldn't happen or didn't happen. Um, we try and systemize through systematic theology an unfathomable God and place Him in a box. But I think at some point, every single one of us will have to realize that God 
does whatever God wants to do. And that's miracles or not. Acts chapter three, verse one. So I'm, I'm gonna tell my dad, I'm just gonna say that out real quick. No, no, there's no topic, so just to throw that out there. So if you wanna take notes on some of the stuff that pops up, please do so. Acts chapter three, verse one. But Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a layman from birth was being carried. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. So here's this picture of this man who was lame from birth. Apparently, his, his, he, couldn't, he, he was unable to get into the temple in his own strength because he was paralyzed. Apparently, the people who dropped him off at the temple didn't take him in because Scripture says he was dropped off there daily outside by the temple gate. So those people weren't able to move him past the gates of the temple. And here's this man paralyzed. As I read this passage, I was, I, was, I was fascinated by multiple things, like words that popped out. Like I wondered why did they include, or why did Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, why did he include the word beautiful gate? He could have just said at the temple gate on the east side, for example. And I started questioning and I did some research and I discovered that some theologians believe that the beautiful gate is the same gate or, or, or also known as the, the, the golden gate. Some people think that those two gates are different gates. Some theologians believe that they're actually the same gate. The reason I mentioned this golden gate is because Jesus, if, you, if, you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might have heard of East, um, um, the Passion Week, uh, Palm Sunday, that build up to Jesus' death and resurrection, that whole week before Easter and the resurrection and the, uh, the death and resurrection. On that day, the Palm Sunday, apparently Jesus came in through the East Gate, which was the golden gate. The reason I mentioned this is because Jesus came into the city on a donkey, the symbolism of the donkey was that whenever a king would enter a city and he came on a horse, it was a symbol of we are declaring war now. This is what's happening. Coming in through the gates, war's happening. So Jesus, as the king enters through the golden gate on the donkey, the symbol of the donkey was I'm coming in in peace. So we see Jesus as a prince of peace. And I love this because the prophet Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says this, for unto, us, for unto us the child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then Prince of Peace. So I love how this chapter starts. It looks like we're getting a glimpse into Holy Week. Palm Sunday, it's not Palm Sunday. But we're getting this glimpse into it, almost like the author is trying to lead us somewhere. We'll get to the Prince of Peace at the end of this chapter. Some theologians also believe that this eastern gate is also the same gate that Jesus will be coming in in the second coming, on the eastern side. Now, I just want to pause there real quick. It doesn't matter to me, to be honest, my personal opinion, it doesn't matter to me whether Jesus comes in through this specific gate or he comes through the church gate when he returns. The point is, Jesus will be returning. But now listen to this. this is, I found this fascinating. So this gate, the golden gate, slash the beautiful gate, was sealed off by Suleiman the Magnificent. He was an Ottoman Empire sultan. So he wanted to close off this gate to prevent the Jewish Messiah from entering into the city through this gate. Even put a, a graveyard in front of it. Now, I love this story because, because if you do believe that this is the same gate and you do believe that um, 
that this golden gate and the beautiful gate are the same, some, some people believe that, that this sultan didn't actually know it, but he was fulfilling a prophecy that was made by Ezekiel in chapter 44, verse one and two. Listen to this. So this is now many, many years before this moment. Listen to this prophecy that Ezekiel prophesied. He said, then the man brought, to me, then the man brought me back to the east gate in the outer side of the temple area, but it was closed. And the Lord said to me, this gate must remain closed It'll never be opened. No one will ever open it and, pa- and pass through it. The Lord, the God of Israel, has entered here. Therefore, it must remain closed, must remain shut. So here's the sultan thinking he's preventing the Messiah from coming in through this gate, but he was actually just fulfilling prophecy. So here's this crippled man sitting at a beautiful gate, the very same gate that the Prince of Peace entered in, and then there he encounters Jesus through his bride. Let's read the next verse. When he saw Peter and John enter, he asked him, this is verse three, when he saw Peter and John enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Look at us. I don't know if you know, I found this interesting because in verse three, it says, when he saw Peter and John, so here's this crippled man, and he saw Peter and John. He saw them. And yet as he's looking at them, Peter and John say, look at us. <laughs> and I wondered, what is this all about? And I think this man wasn't only crippled from birth, but he was also blind, spiritually blind. Because before him was standing the image of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Peter and John represented perfectly Jesus here on earth, the church. And just like the church today, wherever we go, when people look at us, we look the same as the rest of the world. But contained within us is God himself, the Holy Spirit, the message of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to all the world. So he's saying, look at us and recognize what we bring you. Verse five, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. I mean, I just imagine this moment, but let me just quickly read the first part of the second, of verse six. Expecting some money. But Peter said, I do not have any silver or gold for you. I'm gonna pause there. Imagine this moment. Just, just by the way, every single one of us know this crippled man. We've encountered him all over the place. And you and I know that when someone's begging and asking for food and you acknowledge them and call them towards you, like Peter and John, look at us, there's an expectation that you're gonna do something for them or give them something, at least the thing you're asking them for, which is money in this case. So here's this guy at the robot asking for money. And we say, come over here. And we say, actually what you're asking for, I don't have. Can you imagine this man's emotions in that moment, I, I would have been extremely disappointed. Someone calls me over, I've been begging, asking for food, you call me over and you give me nothing. Silver and gold, the thing you've been asking for, we do not have. Look at what Peter then says in verse six. In the silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. So this man came with an expectation. He brought a need to the church. He brought a need to Peter and John. 
And he says, the need you have, we're not gonna actually meet for you right now. We're gonna give you something that's far greater than your need. Now we see a physical healing, 100%. But that's not the greater thing that he received. Something more significant about this moment that we shouldn't miss. Verse seven. Actually, before I move on to verse seven, I love how Peter and John speak to him and he says, in the name of Jesus. Right throughout this whole chapter, you see the name of Jesus being mentioned all the time. In the name of Jesus. You were saved in the name of Jesus. You were healed in the name of Jesus. So you may or may not know this, but the name of Jesus means Yahweh saves. Or Yahweh brings salvation. Or Yahweh is salvation. So that's the name of Jesus. So Jesus shows up at the beautiful gate as a prince of peace, bringing salvation because that's what God does. Here's this man sitting at the gate. The representation of Jesus here on earth because the church shows up and they say, Yahweh saves. In the name of Yahweh, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And scripture says, I'm gonna read it for you. Peter and John looked at this, uh, then Peter, verse seven. Then Peter looked at the layman, uh, took the layman by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Peter and John, as I mentioned before, represent the church. They're a picture of what the church should be doing. In this moment, we see this crippled man and the church, you and I, just like Peter and John, should be reaching out to people who are far from Christ. We should be grabbing them at their hand saying, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And that's what they did. They reached out to him. That's what we should be doing. Should be reaching out to those who are far from Christ. Not only did they reach out to them, to him with this message of Jesus, they pulled him up. They lifted him up from the mess he was in. They supported him until his ankles were strong enough. Then look what they did. Then, verse seven says, they went into the temple with him. Up until this moment, this man could not enter into the temple. He couldn't go into church. We're talking physically here. He physically couldn't go into church. But deeper than just the physical manifestation of moving into the presence of God, there was a spiritual thing happening here because Jesus saves, he doesn't only save us and heals us of our physical bodies and needs, he saves us spiritually. For the first time ever, this man could have a relationship with God, move into the spiritual presence of God. Not in the physical, but he could now have a connection with God at this beautiful gate. And the representation of Jesus here on earth shows up and says, but we have what we'll give you. In Jesus' name, Yahweh will save you. Stand up and walk. And the ultimate thing that happened, there wasn't his physical healing. That wasn't even the need. The need was a separation from God separation from God, and that's what they gave him. That's what the name of Jesus represented for them, for him. And I love how Peter and John, or the author Luke, I love how he uses the word, because he's referencing a passage in Isaiah 35, verse six. He says, um, then walking, this is after the man was healed, then walking, leaping, and praising God. This, this word leaping, let me quickly read you a passage. Isaiah 35, six. The lame, just pause there quick before I read it. For those of you who might not know, Isaiah is an Old Testament passage. This book, this prophet lived many years before this moment in Acts happened, thousands of years, maybe hundreds of years. I don't actually have my timeline right, so don't quote me on that. So many years before this moment, this Isaiah said this. He says, the lame will leap like deer. 
The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing, with, sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. I love that he references this passage because just in the previous passage, uh, chapter in chapter two, the Holy Spirit was just poured out. That's significant because if you listen to what Jesus says in John chapter five or six, he says that streams of living water will flow from you. He says the streams of living water is the Holy Spirit. So just in the previous chapter, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. And at this moment, he's saying, God showed up through the power of the Holy Spirit by the name of Jesus You were not only healed physically, but restored completely to your Father in heaven. In verse nine, verse nine and 10 speaks about how these Jewish leaders then recognize this moment. Scripture says that they walked into the temple, Peter, John, along with this lame man, they walked into the temple, but he's no longer lame. He's busy leaping and praising God, and the people around, they know this guy. They've seen him. They've entered through the same gate. They might have given him money or might have just stepped over him in the past. And here's this man who's been lame, praising God and walking. Then in verse 12, Peter takes this moment, right? And he speaks to them. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. So the first part of this chapter is is the healing of a man. The second part of this chapter is the preaching of a message. And this is where Peter starts preaching a message, a powerful message. Then Peter saw his opportunity, verse 12, and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? So why are you looking at us as if we are great? And remember, Peter was a Jewish man. It is Jewish background. And the whole first part of the book of Acts is, is Peter and John and James ministering to the Jewish nation preaching the message of the Messiah to them. So at this point, he's saying, I'm a Jewish man. I'm coming to you as a Jewish man. And then he says, for th- verse 13, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors. So he's, he's, he's saying, look, we've got a common ground here. The God of our ancestors did this, but he's working through us differently than he's working through you. Because of this one thing, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant, speaking about God, bringing glory to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. This is the, and this is the same name, Jesus, whom he handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded that you release a murderer. So he's busy building this sermon. He's saying, guys, This man was healed as a sign to you. My God healed this man. My God, by the way, is also also your God. It's our God. And Jesus, who you crucified, is an effect God. God saves, Yahweh saves. And you killed him. He says, not only did you release him or hand him over to be murdered, you then became a murderer as you released this murderer before Pilate. This murderer's name was Barabbas. I want to pause here real quick again. Remember, we started off this chapter looking at Holy Week, Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into the city, enters into the temple through the eastern gate, beautiful gate or golden gate. See, the start of Passion Week happening here. This is how it begins. 
And that whole week then builds up to this moment where Jesus stands before Pilate, just about to be crucified. And here, the author brings it up again. Jesus was standing by, next to Pilate. Pilate said, I'll let him go. I'll let Jesus go. This innocent man, this innocent man, I will let him go, but I'll give you a choice. Let the murderer go or let Jesus go. And they said, Barabbas, release Barabbas. Jesus is standing in front of this angry mob of his own people, by the way. His chosen nation, the Jewish nation, standing in front of this angry mob and they are shouting, release Barabbas. And here's the Prince of Peace, demonstrating absolute peace in this moment. In Matthew chapter six, when Jesus was captured in the garden, his disciples were raging, right? So Peter pulls out a sword, he cuts a guy's ear off, and Jesus says, no, 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 relax. And cut off people's ears here. Did you not know that if I asked my father, he would release to me more than 12 legions of angels? But the Prince of Peace says, that's not my way. I don't need to release the 12 legions of angels. I'm a prince of peace. In this moment, he's confronted with an angry mob. And he demonstrates that I am once again the prince of peace. Release Barabbas. The word Barabbas means bar. Bar means son of. Abbas meaning the father. So they're saying release the son of the father. So here's Barabbas standing next to the actual son of the father, receiving mercy as if he in fact was already a son of the father. Every single one of us here today. We are Barabbas. We deserve the penalty that Barabbas should have gotten for being a murderer, but yet we receive mercy because we are sons of the father. We are sons and daughters of the father. And here's this man receiving mercy from the actual son of the father, and Jesus begins his work of redemption. Barabbas, son of the father, brings healing. Verse 15. Feels like the author's now wrapping up Holy Week, stepping into the Easter zone. You killed the author of life. This is Peter's sermon, speaking straight. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Saying, all of us here, you denied him, you rejected him. In fact, you're the reason he's dead. But now we are witnesses of the fact that God raised him from the dead because look at this power that was just demonstrated. Then he says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. So he's talking about physical healing for sure. But he's talking about a restoration and reuniting with his heavenly father, son of the father. Through faith, he says, Jesus healed this lame man before your very eyes. Verse 17, he says to them, guys, listen, I know you were ignorant. I know you and your leaders were ignorant. You murdered him because you didn't know. But God was fulfilling prophecy through that. It's fine. Then he says, but now let's stop here. Comes to the end of a message, end of a sermon. He says, guys, repent now. The word repent means to turn around, to turn away from, complete turn, completely turn around, 180 degrees from one direction to another direction. Turn away from your old way of thinking, turn away from your old way of doing, and turn to Jesus and receive by faith salvation that comes through the name of Jesus. Yahweh saves. He says, repent, turn away from, and receive Jesus through faith. If you were here in the first week, of the series, you would have heard or you might have known already that Acts, the book of Acts, doesn't actually have 29 chapters, only has 28 chapters. The author Luke, when he wrote the Gospel of Luke, 
he captures in the gospel the completed work of Christ. So the whole message of this book is that Jesus came, died on the cross, his blood purified us all from our sin. We can now enter heaven because of that moment of Jesus being crucified. He was also raised from the dead and conquered death. So you can conquer death through Christ Jesus. That's the message. Jesus did his job. It's completed. The second work he wrote was the book of Acts. And that was a continuation of the church. So Jesus finished his work on the cross. Then he says, this, this book is about the Holy Spirit now coming down and continuing his work here on earth through everyone. So that's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. The Holy Spirit working continuously through the church. Then he ends this book in chapter 28. Chapter 29 is your story and my story. Two things I want to quickly highlight. Peter and John perfectly represented what the church should be doing here on earth. Christ calls us to do that very same thing. They're reaching out to those who are far from Christ. That's what they did. We need to be doing that as well. We need to reach out from those who are far from Christ. We need to lift them up, support them, and bring them into the physical temple. Let's just start there at least. Bring them to church with you. Because maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit might change something in their hearts. They'll actually be able to enter into God's actual kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven. We need to reach out, we need to support them and bring them in to heaven with us. The other thing is maybe we need to repent. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Yahweh saves Jesus, you should repent. Not because you're evil, but because God loves you. I wanna make this message very clear. The message of the gospel is because God, is that God loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you so that you could have eternal life. So all those sins that you keep thinking about, that you keep feeling guilty about, when you come into the building, for example, you feel guilty, you think I can't worship God freely, just like Adam and Eve, I need to hide and cover myself. Jesus came to remove those sins. In fact, Scripture says, because He loves you, He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Scripture says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Even that thing you've got in your head right now, even that, that can't separate you from God's love. Nothing means nothing. But you receive this salvation through faith in Jesus. That's what repentance means. Turning away from your own kingdom, turning towards the kingdom of Jesus and receiving Him as your Savior. I'm going to wrap up the service by praying for two groups of people today. For those of us who are believers already, those of us who already are part of the bride of Christ, we are the body of Christ. And you're saying, Jacques, I've been stepping over crippled people my whole life. I haven't been reaching out. I haven't been picking them up. I haven't been supporting them. I haven't been bringing them into the kingdom of God. But I want to shift. I recognize that God has called me for a purpose. My purpose is not to keep stepping over those lame people or crippled people at my workplace, or in my family life. God is calling you to step up and reach out, and I'm gonna pray for you that you would repent. The repentance speaks about turning away from that, turning towards the purpose God has for you. Then after that, I'm gonna pray for those who want to give their lives to Jesus, if that's okay. So right here, without, I'm not gonna ask you to close your eyes. Acts 1, Acts, actually in the book of Acts, Acts 1 Verse eight says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness. You don't have to be afraid because the Spirit of God dwells in you. In fact, we do not have a spirit of fear, but love, strength, and a sound mind. So that's why I'm not gonna ask you to close your eyes. I'm gonna ask you to be brave. If you say, Jacques, that's me, put your hand up. 
because the Spirit of God dwells in you, and you do not need to be afraid among your family. So if that's you today, if you're saying, Jacques, I've been stepping over crippled people, I've been looking at Barabbases all over the place, I've been rejecting them, denying them, because I didn't actually realize that they need Jesus, and stepping over lame people, didn't realize that I needed to reach out, or maybe I was just too busy, but I want to repent now. If that's you, wouldn't you please put your hand up, and I would love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of hands going up everywhere. Thank you. Awesome. More hands going up. My hand is also up, by the way. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, you saw every hand that just went up. You've convicted them deep in their hearts that they need to start being what Peter and John were in the early church, your body here on earth. Maybe we were doing it and we just became weary. Maybe we just became busy, just fell off our radar, but we had not been pursuing establishing your kingdom here on earth. And we choose to repent now, God. We turn away from our old way and we turn towards you and we will choose to do what you have called us to do. We are gonna reach out to every lame person we see. We're gonna lift them up. We're gonna support them. We're gonna bring them into your kingdom. We will preach the message of salvation in the name of Jesus to them. Think of every Barabbas, Lord, every person we think does not deserve to experience mercy. Even those people we're gonna reach out to. In Jesus' name, we repent, we turn to you, and we choose obedience. And while we're praying, if there's anyone here today at home or in the building, if you're saying, I wanna, I wanna repent, I wanna turn away from my old life of unbelief in Jesus, I recognize now that God loves me so much that He, wanna, that he wants to wash me clean of all my sin. And I wanna repent and turn to Jesus today. If you're in the building, I'm gonna ask you to, hand, to raise your hand for me real quick. I wanna pray for you, thank you. Thank you. Lord, you saw every hand that just went up. You saw people making a decision to follow you. People who chose to repent, to turn away from their unbelief, turn towards you. Scripture says when we do that, when we surrender our lives to you, in that moment, you wash us clean as snow. You remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And we no longer need to be held guilty or feel guilty about that because you have cleansed us. So Father, every hand that just went up, pray that you would guide them, that you would protect them from the attack of the enemy and try and steal them from your kingdom. And if you're watching at home online, I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna ask every believer in the building to pray this prayer with me. If you're watching online, if you're a Christian, please pray this prayer with me. Or if you wanna give your life to Jesus now, simple prayer. And you can repeat this prayer. And um, it's not just about the prayer. I just want to say that. It's about an acknowledgement that you're receiving Jesus. And um, I'm going to pray with you. So everybody in the building, please pray with me if that's okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. You've removed them as far as the east is from the west. Nothing can separate me from your love. Holy Spirit, please dwell in me. Please guide me and make me more like Christ. Father in heaven, help me find a church family where I can plug in and worship you and grow and serve you. In Jesus' name, And everybody says amen and amen. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here today. Thank you for watching online. I said it in the first service, I'm gonna say it again. I know you guys are hungry. Go grab some good lunch and go take a nap. Enjoy.
Cheers, everybody.